Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're here. We're getting towards the end of May. We should be, you know, in the middle of mini camps, and that should be running till, you know, for another month or so till June. But no, the coronavirus took over. We're in quarantine or some version of it, whatever, whatever everybody's doing out there, depending on what state you're in, where you are, what the rules and regulations are. But anyway, Offseason is going on virtually, so it should be a relatively quiet time, right? They're, they're having some meetings here or there. These are they're trying to learn the playbook, but there's no real long hard work going on during the days that can be chronicled at least to any degree. So should be a quiet time, but not for the New York Giants right now because they've had a much more serious set of circumstances arise. Serious for them and for young cornerback DeAndre Baker coming off a very shaky rookie year. Okay, Put that aside for a second because this is to a completely different degree. He was charged a couple weeks ago with four counts of armed robbery and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm. Okay, so We're talking serious, serious stuff here. All kinds of allegations were made in the by some of the victims. There was a warrant that came out, and in the warrant it says he took they could deduce there was enough for probable cause that he took money and watches with force, with use of a firearm. And some of the victims alleged that DeAndre Baker even ordered a man in a red mask to shoot somebody else entering the room. So we're talking about serious, serious allegations here. And now there's serious charges. Now, DeAndre Baker has since pleaded innocent to, you know, not guilty to all the all the all eight charges. He's out on bond. And now we're going to wait to see how this entire case unfolds. The Giants, in the meantime, have told DeAndre Baker, okay, why don't you stay away from team meetings and handle your legal issues at this time? Because he's got serious legal issues he has to face. I mean, if, and it's a big if, but if he's guilty of any of these charges, he's going to face jail time. I mean, you know, if, if you're, if he did in fact commit any sort of armed robbery, you're, you're going to be in big trouble. I mean, it's not even a laughing matter. This is so, this is the Giants' first-round pick, by the way, from last year, who they traded up to pick. Now, he's had some problems in the past. Last year was a rocky year. Now, we're not talking about legal problems. I'm talking about with the Giants, football problems, the way he worked, uh, the way he was operating inside the facility. Doesn't mean that they, in any way, shape, or form, thought it would turn into this. An alleged gambling game, as they said, believed to be dice of some sort, was going on at this residence, and something went bad. Now, there's varying degrees and stories that go on, that are going on. The original story has since reportedly, according to some of the lawyers involved, the victims have recanted to some degree. We don't know to what degree. We don't know what the real story is. We don't know what their new story is. We only know what was, has been listed so far and has been chronicled by police and the attorneys, the police in their warrant and the attorneys in the hearing that occurred. I'll talk a little bit more about that hearing afterwards, but in a few minutes, what we're going to do here is we're going to talk to someone who knows much more about these kind of cases in general. We're going to talk to Ryan Smith, who is our ESPN legal analyst, and he understands how these work way better than we do. But what we do know, and I'm, I'm basically have stuff written down from the warrant that I read the whole thing, 
was that there's four witness, vic, four victims, sorry, and a witness known as Coach. His name is Dominic Johnson, who, by the way, has a connection to DeAndre Baker, and I believe Quentin Dunbar as well knows them, but he definitely knows DeAndre Baker and knows him pretty well. There's pictures of him on the sideline of a Giants game. There's pictures of Coach on, on the side, on the sideline of a Georgia game. So he obviously knows DeAndre Baker very well. Now, he doesn't exactly say DeAndre Baker committed an armed robbery. He is a little wishy-washy in his statement in, to the police in the original fir- in the original warrant. But he does mention that Baker had a gun. And he had a, Baker has a permit for a legal gun. So, and that, that's, that's kind of all he said. He said he did not, there was no items taken for him in his life. He never felt like he was in jeopardy of serious harm. This is Coach. Now, remember, Coach has a relationship with DeAndre Baker. Or so it would seem. So this is where we stand. Now, it takes us to the football side of it all. For a minute here, let's just go to the other side. DeAndre Baker has been told to stay away from the team. He's facing serious charges. Start there. To add to that, this is a guy who has already had a rough, rocky first year. I mean, we're talking about getting benched, getting called out in front of the entire team by Pat Shermer. I wrote about this in the middle of last year. And what had happened was it had reached a point last year where I had so many people on the Giants. You know, you hear, you hear things. I hear things about people all the time. And my job isn't to sit there and report every single thing I hear because I hear a lot of gossip as well. So not everything is a hundred percent true when I first hear it. And my job is to sit here and decipher and go through it and double check it and make sure that what I'm putting out is accurate. So I had heard a bunch about DeAndre Baker. People were getting fed up with him and his attitude, the way that he was operating. It was irking a lot of people in the organization, players included. And as more and more people kept saying something to me, and when offensive players started saying something to me, like, you know, this is ridiculous, the way that what this guy's, you know, the way he's working and what he's doing, that when offensive players, because remember, offensive players and defensive players are often on like separate teams. They're on separate planets almost, right? They don't always navigate in the same orbit they rarely do because you spend most of the time with your position group room and then you spend time in the defensive room so you're only together for when you're together as a full team which isn't that often it's not every day 20 you know five hours a day where you're together as a full team you're spending much more time with your position group room and the defensive room so when guys on the offensive side and multiple guys started saying stuff to me and, and it was to that's to the point where saying they're basically saying to me, Hey, you should write something or report something and address this because it's, it's ridiculous. His effort on a play against the Jets, uh, Demarius Thomas, I believe it was, where he basically stopped running. He was called out in front of the entire team. So then he was benched and. And I know people, some people seem to be under the, be under the assumption that he had like a really strong finish to the season. Not necessarily too true in, to my degree. From what I saw and from what I went over, he had two good games. And even then he was sort of in and out of the lineup at times, splitting time. And then he had a couple of rough games even at the end of the year, which I think people are ignoring. I think it was against Washington where he, Terry McLaurin just ate him up late in the season. So it was another, another bad game. So it was a rocky, rocky year. And we're just mentioning this because this has nothing to do with him on the criminal side, okay? We're mentioning this because we're when we're talking about DeAndre Baker's future and football future, if there is a football future, this all now plays into it, right? He had a rough year playing-wise, didn't play particularly well even as a first-round pick, and in the classroom, he wasn't uncommon for him to fall asleep. So there's reasons to think, to think hey, this could be troubling for him as a football player. Like, there, there, there have been some... 
there have been more than a few signs that say this might not turn out to be a great pick. And I told this story on radio a couple times already, and I'll repeat it here because this is my experience last spring before the draft, okay? Now, I had heard some things about DeAndre Baker from multiple people that he wasn't showing up all the time to workouts and the Georgia coaches didn't speak that glowingly about him before the draft. And when, first of all, when your coaches don't speak glowingly about you, that says a lot. All right. That, that's the, that's the alarm rings number one. And then when you're not showing up, if you're not showing up every day to draft workouts, geez, like if you're not going to do it then, you know, that, that is the one time you, you, if you're going to be able to stay in line and do things the right way, like you do it then, because at least you get to the NFL, you get that money, you get that, get that deal. Like that's the time where you can't mess up between the end of your season in say January, depending on when your college football season ends, and April. Like, you better do the right thing. If you can't do the right things in those three or four months, you're never going to be able to do the right things. So these were, to me, red flags, to a degree. So I started asking around, and I asked some friends on some other teams, and I know of at least, you know, I only asked like two or three other teams, and I know two of them got back to me and basically said he was red flag for them with character issues, right, going into the draft. So I was speaking to someone in the Giants organization at one point, probably a few weeks before the draft, and we're going over some players, and I'm telling him what I know, and he was telling me what he knows, and we're going back and forth, and, uh, you know, Baker came up, and they said, yeah, you know, we, we think he's probably the best cornerback in the draft. And I said, yeah, I'm, that, that's not uncommon, but I, I know, and the one thing about him that I've heard is that, on the flip side to that, is that, yeah, he was a he was considered a good player, but there was some concern about him character-wise and that some teams, I, I know, I knew for a fact that some teams probably even, definitely even had him red flagged. Not probably, def, they had him red flagged. And the response to me was, no, I haven't heard that. I mean, I haven't heard that from our side, from anyone in our organization on DeAndre. And clearly the Giants didn't have major concerns about him because not only did they draft him, if anyone tells you they had major concern on him, come on, let's be serious. They didn't just draft him. They traded up to draft him back into the first round. Now forget the capital that they gave up. We're just talking about the concept here of did they do their due diligence and did they know enough about him as an individual to make the right decision? Because, like, obviously they don't know that he's going to be charged with armed robbery. You never really expect that, okay? But it's about mitigating risk. And clearly there's been multiple instances now where you realize, okay, DeAndre Baker was a bigger risk than they than they definitely realized. Because, A, in regards to his work ethic, B, in regards to his play even as a, as a rookie – and now getting himself in it, forget the armed robbery for a second and the seriousness of the allegations, but just putting himself in a position where he could something something like this can come about. Like he he put that's what we know he did he did here that you look at and say we know what he did wrong. He put himself in a position where now he's facing charges and he's in trouble. Now we don't know if he did it, but he 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 was at some sort of event or party as as it was called it was called a party i believe of 12 to 15 people or so, somewhere in that range in the in the warrant uh or at the at the hearing his first hearing so he put himself in that spot he put himself in jeopardy okay that we know and that's part of the risk you're betting on guys in the draft that they're able to do the right things on and off the field and you're combining that risk whatever you deem it to be with their ability as players and that's how you make your draft picks. And the idea, especially early in the draft, is to mitigate risk as much as possible. And clearly, the Giants didn't view it that way with DeAndre Baker. They didn't view him as a risk. 
to be able to do the right things in the meeting room, to be able to do the right things off the field, to put himself in the right situations. So right now this is trending towards this being a a bad pick. And who knows if DeAndre Baker is going to be able to contribute on the field in any way this year, next year, whenever. And even if he is, we still don't even know if he's what he's going to be as a player. Because even as a player, there was concerns last year. So that's where we stand with DeAndre Baker now. Quentin Dunbar from the Seattle Seahawks has also been linked in on this. He's charged with four counts of armed robbery as well. He was He's alleged to have been with DeAndre Baker. And they're the two that NFL players that were in this situation that now face serious charges by South Florida police, Miramar Department police. And uh, they were in jail. They've been bonded out, bailed out. But now the case really begins. The legal side of it all really begins. So with that being said, let's bring in the ESPN legal analyst to help us out with all this. On to the next one. All right, we're talking about DeAndre Baker here and his case. So who better to bring in than the ESPN legal analyst, Ryan Smith, who will help us break it down because, let's be honest, this when you, when you talk about these kind of things, they're often out of our areas of expertise. So, Ryan, welcome. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna plug you here for your expertise on these okay. kind of situations and what it means, you know, the, the eight charges that DeAndre Baker's facing, uh, how serious this is, what happens if everybody, uh, refuses to testify and, and, and all those things. So, okay. Uh, you, you ready, you ready to get into it? Let's do this. All right. This, this is, this is an interesting one. You don't often see, uh, you know, armed, armed robbery from NFL players. This is, no. this is kind of, kind of a rarity. So when you first heard about it and read about it, what was, what were, what were you thinking? Well, my very first thought was, you know, you read the stories and you read the accusations. And I always have to say, as a lawyer, my first thought is always, these are accusations. Absolutely. You need to figure out exactly what happened. Because it's always a big headline. So-and-so arrested or there's a warrant out for their arrest. And it always gives you the visual of, you know, cops going through the streets or police officers going through the streets looking for guys who are dangerous and on the loose. It's, it's, it's not that. It, it simply is, in a lot of these cases, something has happened. A couple of witnesses are pointing the finger at a few people, in this case, uh, DeAndre Baker and Dunbar. Uh-huh. And they're saying, hey, okay, we've got enough information. We've done an investigation. And we believe there's enough to do an arrest here for these charges. So when I first saw it, my first thought was, okay, these guys are accused. Did they do it? What did they do? And what evidence is out there proving, or at least according to authorities, showing authorities that they, in fact, may have committed these crimes? Right. So then they turn the two guys basically turn themselves in on the the warrant goes out on a Thursday night. Yeah. They essentially turn themselves in on Saturday morning. DeAndre Baker was first thing Saturday and Dunbar, I believe, was later. So usually what does that mean when they take when people like because look, they were able to track down DeAndre Baker. He wasn't on the run. But why do, do people usually take 30 what, – what, what could be a reason that people take 36 hours to decide, okay, then they turn themselves in and not do it right away? Well, the first thing is it's always a question of can police reach people? Can they communicate the actual charges that are out there? Then if I'm uh, somebody who's accused of something, I'm contacting my lawyer. My lawyer is stepping in. My lawyer wants to know a little bit about the evidence. My lawyer wants to know if there's uh, anything to what they're talking about just to do their regular due diligence. Uh-huh. And then it's a process of if somebody's out of town or if somebody's not readily available, as long as police have some sort of certainty that they will be responding to this arrest warrant by turning themselves in, 
it, it's not exactly like if they're not a flight risk, it's, it's not exactly like we got to have him turn himself in at this moment. So uh-huh. usually that's what's behind some of the time delay. It's, it's getting all the ducks in a row. It's getting, if I'm accused of something, it's me getting my lawyer. It's making arrangements to turn yourself in in a particular way. Sometimes for high profile people, it's making sure you're not turning yourself in in the front door so that a lot of people are taking pictures of you. If it's a big, huge thing, mm-hmm. you might want to make arrangements with police. So all those things factor into the time delay. And for authorities, it's if this guy is not a flight risk, and as long as he's doing it in a timely fashion, then we're not going to worry if it's, uh, you know, two hours or five hours. We just want to get him in here turning himself in. And it seems like they don't believe he's a flight, ri- flight risk, right? Because they requested him permission to travel, right, essentially, right. after after the first hearing. So does does that usually does that mean anything to you, or is that just sort of the state of the case, or does, does that usually mean something that they're willing to go to that degree and say, okay, yeah, if your work takes you out of state, you can you can go out of state. Yeah, I think it's 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 the state of the individual. It's the fact that he's a football player and he's got this, and they've already complied with everything so far. So they're saying, look, while this case is processing. He needs to be able to go out and make a living and, and do those things. And, and we don't feel, and we're asking for this because he's not a flight risk. He will come back if you, in fact, have other hearings. I mean, the tough thing for a lot of people to understand and stuff like this is if it ends up going to trial, we're talking about, I mean, especially with our current court system being on hold due to the pandemic, we're talking about months, if not a year or more to process a case like this. So in that time, lawyers for people who are accused, at least they want to get out there and say, well, let my guy make a living. As long as he's doing everything you're asking him to do, let him go and do that. And he will report when you ask him to report. He will do the things you ask him to do based on this criminal case. He knows he has to do them. He's not going to step out on you. So please give him this permission to do this. So I think it's more of a, a process of who he is right now and letting him continue to earn a living while this is all going through. And remember, all of this is based on the fact that he's innocent until proven guilty. Right. So the idea is he's been accused of something. Mm-hmm. Police are investigating. His lawyers are investigating. Everybody's going through the process. Let's let him continue doing what he's doing as long as he is not a risk to others or some sort of flight risk. Well, that's the interesting part, right? Well, then yeah. this takes me to my next question. Yep. Usually guys have cases, you know, uh, drive DWI or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. it's usually not to the degree of armed robbery and aggravated assault with a weapon. So, in a case like this, if it does, the Giants currently said, hey, you go take care of your legal problems, right? Stay away. They said, well, you know, go handle, you have serious problems here, go handle them. And then we'll see what happens, right, as we go along here. But if this does drag on, and like you said, we're talking like years down the line, are there any instances that you know of or you can remember where in these major sports where a guy is facing armed robbery or aggravated assault with a, with a weapon? And the case is getting prosecuted or going along and they get to play and they, they just still go and, and, and are able to participate in a, in a professional sports league. Not, it's not something that I would call common in the normal world. Right. In sports. I haven't heard of anything like that. And the problem is you're talking here about armed robbery. I mean, this is a serious, serious felony charge. Right. So when you and have there's, a eight, charge, there's eight counts between the armed robbery and, and the, the aggravated, aggravated assault. assault with a firearm. I mean, that's, a, that's right. a, that's a lot, right? Yeah, that's, you're talking these are about serious charges. On the armed robbery alone, not saying he would end up getting this kind of penalty if convicted, but on the armed robbery alone, you're talking about a maximum sentence of life in prison. So this is serious, serious stuff. In right. many cases in this country, a lot of people who are accused of this kind of crime might not even be able to get bail, might have yeah. to sit in jail while all this is processing. So you could make the argument that one of the reasons 
Uh, he might not be in that situation is because of his lawyers. It may be because of uh, situations involving the case. We don't know. But they will ask to let him continue his life while this happens. Will they let that happen indefinitely while the case is processing? Will prosecutors agree to that? Will courts agree to that? That remains to be seen because it's such a serious case. In some ways, you don't, it's not a slam dunk that just because you're out on bail, you get to resume life as usual when you're accused of a crime like this. Right, right. Which, which if, if, you know, cause we don't, like you said, if we, we don't know their yeah. allegations and right. And this is a country where it's innocent until proven guilty. If these were completely fabricated, that's some price to pay for a fabricated story, right? And you're sitting yeah. there with these charges. His career is basically put on hold and, and perhaps ruined, you know, ruined or cause you know, if he has to sit out a year or two and then it turns out to not be true. I mean, <laughs> those are serious consequences that come from it. So, which takes me to the idea of th- why you would even think that it might be fabricated. Of course, you have to prove guilt in this country, but there's been, I, I watched the hearing afterwards, right? When, mm-hmm. when they first went to the hearing after they turned themselves in. Right. And there was some, there, the lawyers talked about there being affidavits mm-hmm. where some of the victims basically recanted their stories. All right. And the state, one of the suggestions they made was it's strange. We don't know why, but it's strange when these kind of things happen for a victim to recant their story within 36 hours later. Yes. So he was making suggestions in a way that there, you never know what the circumstances are of whether somebody paid them off, flipped them, whatever it was. So right. what do you make when you hear that there's affidavits and the victims themselves recanted their stories to some degree? Well, let me tell you something, Jordan. It certainly is strange when the police are called to a location, when witnesses come up and describe exactly what happened. And then what is it? I, I heard the news was within 36 hours. All of mm-hmm. those people are recanting or at least a sizable number of them. It's objectively strange. And yeah. so... You could certainly understand why prosecutors would say that. This is not common. This is not something that every day people just call police and say, oh, this happened. We were robbed at gunpoint. People took thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of money and watches and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, within hours, uh, affidavits are presented saying no. Because for a couple of reasons, first of all, if if they were going to recant anyway, why call the police? That's the obvious part. Right. And the second part of it is they are opened up to perjury charges, each and every one of them. When you make that statement to police on the record in an affidavit and they're using that to get an arrest warrant, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, police don't look kindly on people wasting their time and investigative resources on something that didn't happen. Right. So all of those people, if in fact there are affidavits recanting on those stories, completely contradicting what was told to police each one of those people may be open to perjury charges. Right. Which that would make be you problem. believe that they recanted some part of the story, right? Not that, the entire story? I was just going to say that's another part of it. It might have been a clarification. Uh, as I understand it, one part of what's out there is some people clarifying parts of Dunbar's involvement. So that could be a number of different things. That wouldn't necessarily open up to a perjury charge. It could clarify some things. But if I told police X and later I told a lawyer for somebody Y and they're in complete contradiction, right? you got a problem. And, and let me tell you this. Police aren't just going to look at that and say, oh, well, they recounted. Let's just walk away. I guess this isn't really a case. They're probably going to investigate that. So I don't think this is the last time those witnesses, if in fact they directly recanted a, an important part of the story, I don't think this is the last time they're going to hear from investigators. Authorities are out there trying to find the truth of what happened. Right. And it is objectively strange when stories change 
on primary facts of a case. But if it's clarifications, we don't know all of that. And at this point, it certainly is within the realm of each side of Baker's or Dunbar's lawyer to say, look, we have affidavits that shed a different light on this. What that different light is, we just don't know yet. Right. So there's four victims yeah. in the, that are specified in the warrant. And then there's a witness. Mm-hmm. Okay. A local coach in the community. Right? A guy who's known them for since who's they were known young. Them. So, I mean, he, this is a guy who's been on the sideline of Giants before games at Georgia. So clearly he knows DeAndre Baker very well. Now he didn't yep. say he didn't do it according to the warrant. He also didn't say he did do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was somewhere in between. So let's say the victims who there have been reports that the victims have, uh, past history with the law, right? Let's say they decide not to cooperate anymore. And then the witness also who's known these guys forever, he doesn't, he's not going to say anything. What happens at that point is that, does that leave them absolutely no case? I mean, what, what is, what is that? Where does everything stand if that's the way this goes? I don't think it leaves them with no case for one very important reason. If I'm the authorities here, I'm looking for evidence. There are times when you're conducting an investigation where people change their stories or undermine a prosecutor's case. Right. But here's the, here's the thing of it all. Prosecutors, authorities, their job is to make sure crimes aren't committed. I mean, their job is to prosecute those crimes if they are, in fact, committed. So if they feel a crime has happened and witnesses are recanting or they look squirrely, that's just one part of their case. The other part of the case is actual evidence. Is there any physical evidence? Do we have people putting them at the scene? Do we have people who can contribute to the motive argument here? And probably most importantly, above all, is there any video evidence in all of this? Do we Video, see text right. messages, text right? messages, anything. Do we see anything? Interactions about money, text messages about what happened. How many times have we seen crimes where there's 20 people in a room, a couple of people are doing something with a couple other people and somebody else pulls out their iPhone. I mm-hmm. mean, all of those things are something they're going to be looking for. So if they feel like the witnesses aren't very strong, but at the same time, they have video evidence of something happening, particularly involving firearms. That's an, that gives them a very strong case. Despite what the witnesses say. And if I'm prosecutors, if I have very strong video evidence or something to that effect that shows me in good faith that a crime has been committed, even if I have these witnesses saying, no, this guy didn't do it. No, that guy didn't do it. I can contradict those witnesses statements with the fact that they've gone back and forth in their story. And then I've got my video evidence to back it up. And let me tell you something. These are jury trials. I like nothing better as a prosecutor than to step up and show them a videotape and say, hey, we're accusing these guys of this and that, and, and here it is right for you to see. Right. So that's going to be key. What what video evidence, if any, is out there? Now, if there is none and there are no witnesses and there is a extreme and there's a lack of physical evidence, then you got an argument of you got a really tough case if you're prosecutors. So is this what they're probably doing at this point? Is there still... Investigating. investigating the case to yeah. this degree. Like they get the original story, they, they put out the warrant and now they have to basically go out and reinvestigate the whole thing to see what else they have to add to it. They've probably done a great deal of investigating in the process of pushing this case forward. And not, they can't reveal everything. They don't have to. All they have to do in that arrest warrant is uh, put enough out there that there's probable cause for an arrest. Right. So they're not going to tell you every single thing they have in that document. What they've probably already been doing or trying to do is interview all the witnesses, see if there's any video, contact the hotel, see if there's anything there or anything on site, any kind of video taken there. I want all of that. 
I, I, I'm the authority so I can get all of that stuff. I want to look over it. I want to see if I have anything from the room. I want to see if anybody else was involved that maybe a witness told somebody else, even though that's hearsay in court, that gives me some background in the case. So I think there are a lot of avenues for them to pursue to find out what really happened. And, and let's also, Jordan, talk about sort of the times that we live in, because in a typical, if you and I were talking about this case last year, right? police would be knocking on doors out there, yeah. getting this stuff, going to these locations, going into rooms, getting the video, looking all the stuff. Now we have certain restrictions on that. Florida's has a different set of restrictions than other states, but it makes it a little, it might take a little bit longer for this case to be investigated because of some of the social distancing and other restrictions we have out there. Based on that being the case, you yeah. would be surprised if DeAndre Baker is with the Giants anytime soon then? That's a tough call. I, 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 it's hard for me to say because I need to know more about what they actually have and where they are in their investigation. Yeah. I think um, if the Giants have said, look, don't come back until this thing is done, I would say a year ago as compared to now, having the thing done would happen a lot faster. Right. I would say now he might have some waiting to do if, they, if they're not going to have him back on that basis just because it's going to take more time. And, and think about what our, what our authorities and our officers, police officers and everybody are preoccupied with, with our pandemic right now. You don't have it as many hands on deck. Mm-hmm. You might not have it as many resources to dedicate to it. So it, it's, a, it's a tough call without knowing exactly what they have, but it's not going to be something that they're going to wrap up in a couple of days. They got to right. do this thorough investigation, which has now been a little bit more complicated if, in fact, people are recanting. Yeah. There's also another element. So yeah. at least publicly, you have, all right, Baker's attorney, Bradford Cohen. Okay. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's the one handling the case. Yes. Now he has an NFL attorney as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for NFL matters is what I was told. Yep. Patrick Patel. And he's been out there publicly, basically prosecuting the case publicly. He's yes. not even his defense lawyer. How unusual is that? And what do you, what do you make of that? <laughs> well, it, it, I, I, I won't say I know exactly what's going on between the two of them, but I will say that I think there sometimes is an impression when you have two lawyers on a case that they're always on the same page. I'm not saying these guys aren't. Right. What I'm saying is outwardly, it appears to be that they are taking different approaches. So one guy is just, you know, here we are on the case. And the other one is sort of playing the defender is out there saying, like, for example, there was recently a tweet coming from the other side's lawyer talking about how Dunbar wasn't at the first party. Right. The first party becomes relevant here because they're saying that Dunbar and Baker lost a lot of money at the first party, at least some of the witnesses. This is part of the thought process. Right. Lost a lot of money at the first party. Part of the reason why they started the, the fight at the second party. The idea would be uh, that there's a little bit of motive here. Right. Payback. You know what I mean? I lost a lot of money. Huh? I want my money back. So whatever. So moving on from there, there was, uh, as I understand it, there's a Dunbar's put out there, right? Dunbar's lawyer puts out Dunbar's a lawyer put it out there, yeah. Which is Suggesting from the party's organizer that Dunbar wasn't at the first party. But in that tweet, it was also mentioned by the party's organizer that Baker lost some money. Yeah. So sort of in a way I, implicating Baker. That would be the thought. So you've got a defender on the other side saying, I'm not going to stand for that, Mr. Patel. I'm going to threatening to possibly sue, according to reports, Dunbar's lawyer for putting that tweet out. That can be helpful sometimes because you're, especially if you're the NFL side lawyer, you realize that there does not need to be a conviction for your client to face a suspension by the NFL. That is critical. Very true. Because 
Mr. Patel might be out there saying, I am going to knock down every single argument, every single implication that he did something wrong here. Because unlike in court, where they've got to prove me guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, here, they can just simply say, well, it looks bad. And all this yeah. stuff looks bad. And that's why we're going to suspend your guy, even though he wasn't convicted. Right. Personal so, conduct, conduct policy. That's where exactly you, you put right. yourself in a bad situation where you made the league and your team and yourself look bad. Conduct detrimental to the team. You have in some way negatively impacted your team. So if he can knock down, almost look at it like, you know, playing tennis. If he can knock away every shot that's coming at him, then he in some ways might be looking at that like I'm doing my job. My job is to make sure that my client looks squeaky clean. I believe these charges are going to be dropped. And when they are dropped, I, if I have to go in front of the NFL and defend the fact that he shouldn't be suspended for any time, I'm going to say when they bring up this, that, and the other, I'm going to say each one of these was a lie. I knocked this down here. I knocked this down there. It's, it's an approach and it might not make them look consistent, but as I look at it, instead of immediately thinking these guys aren't on the same page, one thought that I have is, You've got one guy who has to defend Baker in a, in a different way than the other guy. And so it behooves Mr. Patel to at least send the message that all of this is false. There is nothing my client did in relation to any of this except right. play some video games. Which is what he's doing. He's shooting down everything. But right. my, the, the flip side is, can, yeah. that be, can that be used against them if they, go to, if they end up going to trial at all? How so? I think, I think one part is... If, if he is denying, well, the problem is if he lost money and his lawyer is out there making these comments, then you have a problem. But I, what they're trying to strike here is that he didn't. And I think that comes from both lawyers. The idea is at the first party, he wasn't even playing. He was playing video games. Right. And at the second thing, he heard the commotion. And according to Mr. Mattel, once he heard the commotion, he was kind of out right after that. And they even, I think part of the claim is that um, part of the authority, I'd say part of the witness claim here is that they had their, let's call them so-called getaway cars situated right. for easy ability to leave. And as I understand it from Baker's team, the idea was they had to, he had to sit in the passenger seat, a designated driver is there and they have to pass through a security checkpoint. Right. So they're already starting to put out there statements that affirmatively say my client had nothing to do with this. He was not there losing money. He was there playing video games first sign of trouble at the second party, he bounced. And if in fact that's not the case, that invites problems. But what they are saying right now is that is the case. So there's no problem. As long as you're putting the truth out there, you don't have a problem if you're a lawyer. Right. He put a lot of stuff out there. So let's say some of it is true and some of it isn't. Okay. Let's talk about that. Where does that put them? If there's something that's not true, and again, I'm not going to... I. I, we would have to address it specifically and talk yeah, about what it is. Yeah, we don't know exactly, right? Yeah, if there, if I'll give the big if here, big qualification. If there is something that's not true, then it could end up negatively impacting his client. But we got to know that for sure. Right. To, to me, if I'm a lawyer and I'm defending my client, especially in a complicated matter involving an NFL player, I'm I am living in this territory that talks about how my client did no wrong. His simple presence at a party does not implicate him. Witnesses saying he did something does not implicate him. That's in my mind. You have to prove that I've done something wrong. You need to show, because I'm telling you, I didn't do anything wrong. My client did nothing wrong. I'm telling you, my guy was playing video games. Mm -hmm. Show it to me. Show me the video that has him flipping over a table and pulling a gun. Show me the video that has him taking stuff. But right. so it seems to me that at this point they're saying that evidence is not out there and we feel strongly that he didn't do anything wrong. And I'm assuming that's coming from their client. Yeah. Very important in these things to remember. You have to wait to see how it plays out and yeah. 
they have to prove guilt, right? Not the other way around. Right. And there's a couple of, I think there's a couple interesting aspects to this that, that end up okay. possibly playing as wild cards. First thing is part of this story is at least, especially with respect to the aggravated assault with Baker. Part of this story is that Mr. Baker is directing another person in a red mask as somebody walks in the door to brandish the firearm on them and use yeah. it. Right. Uh-huh. So what could be interesting here from an authority's perspective is, all right, we've got contradictory, uh, possibly, I'm sorry to use all the disclaimers. The problem is we don't know, so I don't want to yes, say for course. sure what somebody's saying. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't <laughs> right. know exactly what was said. Right. That's We're going off what we know and what right. we've read and what's been uh, put out there in the warrant and in court. Right. So that's but, all so we have. And, and, and let's be fair. That's only a piece of the puzzle, right? That's right. That's we're right. only getting a piece. We're getting a snippets of right. probably what really happened. Right. So assuming these people are giving contradictory statements, one place I might go if I'm an investigator is trying desperately to find this guy with the red mask. Right. Yeah. He's there. What do I want him to tell me? There's a couple of different avenues I could go with him. First, tell me your story. Now, I'm going to make you feel like you're going to be in trouble, obviously, because you're part of an armed robbery. I'm going to charge you, too. And I might ask you to talk about what they did to lessen your penalty. The other thing that I think might be interesting here is at first, when you look at this, you assume that Baker and Dunbar are on the same side with that whole situation regarding the tweet where Mr. Patel is objecting to what Dunbar's lawyer is doing. It makes me wonder if their interests are aligned. So if I'm authorities, do I go to Dunbar or do I go to Patel? Sorry, do I go to Dunbar or do I go to Baker and say, hey, maybe you flip on the other guy and we'll penalize you less in order to get the information on the other guy. I mean, that's the kind of things I think they might explore right. as they because go through. Because Dunbar's, Dunbar's lawyer, Mr. Greco, right. he's been trying to separate the two from the start. That's been, that's been pretty clear. Right. These guys aren't that close friends. They're not They're not as as close and connected as everybody seems to uh, be insinuating. That, that's been his stance, it seems like, from day one. That's interesting because typically, like when you first hear the story, you think, oh, these guys together, they're football players. They must be good friends. The allegations seem to indicate that one person is directing the other person to do certain things. But if that's – it does seem – at least recently, and I think it's a smart move by Dunbar's lawyer, you don't want to lump your client in with another person, even if they are close friends, because you can never account for the other person's behavior or what right. they might do. And the moment you try to align your interests with theirs, then you go down for what they did. And sometimes, even if that's not what the evidence necessarily reads, think about it almost in terms of a jury trial. If you're standing in front of a jury and you seem kind of innocent, but the other guy seems completely guilty, Sometimes our mental state as jurors, as human beings, try to lump people together and say, well, they were both there together. That's exactly right. You said it perfectly. So you want to avoid that by, from the very beginning, trying to separate them as much as you can. And so the more that happens, don't think that authorities aren't seeing this. And if they are lacking in, say, video evidence or something, don't think that they might not, in the course of their investigation, try to find out what one will say about the other. Very interesting. Well, this case in general is probably not going away anytime soon. So we, we might, we might need to bring you back at some point again soon because it seems like, uh, there's going to be a bunch of things that go on before, uh, anything happens here. And we know the fate of either of these two guys or either of these two players in any case in general. So Ryan Smith, we appreciate it very much. Very, very, very insightful stuff. Uh, hope that, hope to speak to you again soon. Anytime, Jordan. Take care, man. 
Okay, hope everybody enjoyed that. That was very informative. At least for me, it was very informative. So I, I, I would think you feel the same because we're not legal experts. We don't know the ins and outs of how these cases work and the legal system. So it's good to speak to somebody who obviously knows a lot more about it than we do. Now, the, of course, there's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts in there and alleged uh, because no, none of us really know the full story. We'll probably never know the full story. You know, they usually say, right, there's one party side, there's the other party side, and in the middle is somewhere probably the truth. So who knows if we ever figure out, really know what happened here. But we will see the legal case and the ramifications of this play out in front of our eyes because it's a public figure, two public figures, and a big case and some serious, serious charges. So with that, I'll give you get into a Jordan on the beat here and talk about some of this case and how it's sort of been breaking down here for me. As uh, you know, I try to tell you what it's like to be a Giants reporter, uh, an NFL reporter, cover on the NFL. And we, and I've, I've been mentioning this a lot lately, we're working remotely just like everybody else. So I think it was Sunday morning. So he gets... The warrant comes out for DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar's arrest on Thursday night. The warrant comes out. They turn themselves in eventually on Thursday morning. Uh, Saturday morning, sorry. So Sunday morning, there's a hearing. The first, first hearing for Baker and Dunbar. It's pretty much, it's together. They really, they each have their separate lawyers. They do it back to back. It goes Dunbar first and then, um, Baker. So these, in Florida, Florida's very open, liberal state. And these things are usually you can they're open to the to the media and the you, so you can go in there for these hearings and and hear it. But the way everything's working now, it's remote as well. So we're watching these first hearings eight a.m. nine, 9 a.m. was supposed to start at eight we thought, but it ended it was at nine a.m. Sunday morning on Zoom. You're watching these. Hearings on Zoom. It's on. You have a YouTube place also where you, where you can catch it, and and that's you know where you're watching it. You see uh, DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar. They come in. They walk in. You know they're they're with masks. They're shown for a second. Their lawyers are there, and a few other people in the room. Very very few, and they're and they're they're sitting all standing there. They're, they stand there with their masks on, and they're talking. It's really a surreal scene because the whole everything. From what we're used to in the norm, is just different right now, right? Because it's thrown out of whack the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic that has swept this nation. There, you, there's no such thing as live courtrooms. The judge, I believe, is at his house, has a setup at his desk at his house, and the lawyers and the the, the state attorney is also, I believe, at his house, and the, and then the defendants, which in in this case, are DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar. They're coming from they're at the facility in the jail in the courthouse, and uh, they're with their lawyers, and they're all wearing their uh, their mask in public, right? It's not, but not really necessarily public, but mask in the in whatever room it is that they're brought into to do these hearings, and so it's really a strange scene. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of reporters I know, and a bunch of ESPN reporters I know from our end. We're all sitting there watching it from home. On a Sunday morning. So this is what it's like to cover a court case for a sports figure in 2020 right now. That's what it's like. 
And then it's a bunch of making phone calls. So um, that's that's where we're at. That's where we're at as a society. Things are starting to open up a little bit more, but there's still restrictions. And it's not just the sports teams, which, by the way, I'm taping this on a Wednesday. Yesterday, New Jersey got the green light for training camps to start for professional sports teams and events. Doesn't mean they're going to happen with fans, but they got the green light. So we're getting closer. Looks like we're going to have a training camp at some point. What it's going to look like in New Jersey, training camp is starting, I think the date, the projected start date is July 20th, uh, 30th. What it's going to look like, that's a different story. Fans, I doubt it. Even this season, who knows? Media, who knows? We don't even know. What's the, are, are, is media going to be allowed to down there? Are we going to be allowed the locker room at any point this year? I, I think these things are all in question. And I don't think anybody really knows the answer. But we'll find out. So that's my Jordan on the beat. That's what it's like right now. And I, who knows what my job is going to look like as a, as a reporter this year for the New York Giants. Are we going to step foot in a locker room, the Giants locker room this year? I don't know that. I really don't. So that's it with this episode of Breaking Big Blue. We're going to do another one uh, this week, and, and then we'll have a, a, a Giants After Dark episode next week, I think, where I'll answer all your questions of where everything stands with the team and then whatever, DeAndre Baker, anything you want to know, anything you want to talk about, I'm here for you. As always, remember, download this podcast, subscribe, give us good ratings, tell your friends. I'm here to entertain. We're here to have a good time to talk some Giants and we're going to get into some really cool um, podcast episodes uh, as we get into the late spring, early summer. Uh, I'm going to try and get some good guests and, and talk about some interesting topics. As you could feel free to reach out to me and tell me if there's any guests you want during this uh, downtime over the next what two, three months or so, because uh, I'm going to try to really start stacking up on guests and not just talk about what's where the Giants are as a team right now. But, you know, get into some of the things of the past and uh, some things of the future. And next week, I, next episode, I think we're going to try even get Dan Orlovsky on to talk about his breakdown of Daniel Jones So, and, and do, do it like a sort of Daniel Jones episode of where he stands as a quarterback. I think that would be fun. And uh, make sure you're listening to Breaking Big Blue. Download, subscribe, give good ratings. Reach out to me, email. You can always reach me, email. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever there, you guys know how to find me. So that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.